You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Well, happy Easter. Oh, wow. Uh, I am having a happy Easter. I'm glad to be with you. I want to thank you for coming uh, to worship with us this morning. My name is George Hinman, and I'm the senior pastor. It's just really a privilege to be together with you this Sunday. Uh, I know that um, there are a lot of other places to be on a weekend, particularly the first beautiful weekend of spring, and uh, you're here for a lot of different reasons, I assume. Maybe uh, some of you are here because somebody invited you, and they want to share this moment with you, and you love them enough to say, sure, I'll do that. Um, maybe it's a sign of love. Maybe that some of you are here with kind of a spiritual curiosity. I don't really know that much or think that much about this whole Easter business, but uh, I'm curious, and so you're here. Uh, Others of us are here because we know Jesus and we love him, and uh, we can't be here too much, really, just wanting to worship him together. So whatever uh, brings you here, again, you are here, and I thank you for that. For me, as a pastor, Easter is a nerve-wracking moment. Um, it's true of my colleagues as well. It's just such a, a wonderful day. It's a big day. I honestly realized as I was preparing for this message today that I'm not afraid of death. I can truthfully say that. In a minute, you'll see how irresponsibly I live, and you'll believe it. But I just I tell you, I'm really not afraid of death. But of this, I'm terrified. <laughs> I totally have something about bunnies and peeps and uh, neckties and little girls with pink dresses on. This freaks me out. So I'm, you're going to have to help me get through Easter today. I think because I know it's such a big moment, Easter, and uh, I want to do it justice. I, uh, many of us have been praying for you this morning that... Um, that this will be a turning point in your life. And Easter is a turning point. Truly, it's been a turning point in so many of our lives as we've come to know the risen Savior. Uh, it's a turning point in human history, and we just want that for everybody. Uh, so that's our, our prayer for you today. And my belief is that none of us is here by accident that you're here today because the Holy Spirit said, I want you here, I want you to to know me more, I want you to be more enfolded into my arms of love. And so I believe that God has an agenda for each and every one of us today. Now, Easter is a turning point, as I say, and I came to a turning point last winter. It's not necessarily the kind of turning point you want to come uh, to, but I was uh, riding my bike late at night, it uh, was a Friday night, and I was going down Ravenna Boulevard uh, from the university. It was, it was dark, it was wet, and I was screaming down that hill. I love to, to go through the S-curves, you know, it's a little giant slalom thing for me. And <clears throat> so, I was, I, yes, I was going fast, I'll admit, but I was totally under control, totally, <laughs> um, until I got to the corner, the turning point. Um, I ride this route a lot. I've never seen this before. Cars were backed up all the way to the, to the corner. So I had not seen that, could not see that. But as soon as I got around, I don't know what it was. Um, maybe it was a pedestrian or the, you know, there's a stop sign there for some reason. I'm looking at the uh, back of a, a, an Audi SUV, brand new, so new that you could still see the little dealer's um, uh, license in, the, in there. It's funny what you remember. And I'm thinking, I am less than two seconds away from meeting that license plate very intimately. <clears throat> I look up. My options to the right, uh, hit the curb. That's not so good. Options to the left, hit an oncoming car, even worse. Don't like either of those, and so I just put my shoulder down, and I went right into the back of the SUV with this massive, it was like 25 miles an hour, I hit this thing hard. And uh, <clears throat> of course, the man, the owner of the new Audi, jumped out, and he was not uh, terribly pleased with me. Now, I don't know if you have any opinions about Seattle cyclists. <laughs> 
I'm fine. Thank you very much. I'm not hurt. I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> and I, you know, mostly it's my ego that's bruised. The body will heal, but the shame stays with me. You know, the shame of like I was in a car accident on a bicycle and I was the aggressor. <laughs> well, you know, I, so I got to tie this into something spiritual so I can justify having told you that. <clears throat> I'm guessing that as the disciples are going through Holy Week, they're thinking, you know, um, we are racing downhill in deep darkness into disaster. And they see it unfold on the, on the cross. It's like, the, it's, like the, it's, the, it's, it's, the, it's an accident, it's a collision. It's the, it's the um, catastrophe that brings an end to all of their dreams, all of their hopes, to see their Savior crucified. They did not see this coming. But... Here's the good news of this morning. He is risen. I mean, that's what's around the corner. That's the surprise of Easter. Now, the particular kind of surprise Easter is, is extraordinary. It's referred to in the scripture in several places as a birth, a birth event. And I need to puzzle with you a little bit around that description of Easter. Those who first saw Jesus risen from the dead started to refer to him as the firstborn. It's a curious expression, the firstborn uh, from the dead. Let's look at that together. The passage I want to refer to is printed in your bulletin. If you're able, would you stand with me? Let's read God's word aloud together. This is from the Bible. It's uh, from Paul's letter to a church in Colossae, Greece. And uh, <clears throat> uh, it's a description of Jesus, firstborn from the dead. When we're done reading this, I'll say this is the word of the Lord so that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading his holy word. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. Firstborn from the dead. Now, that is interesting. I mean, they knew that Jesus was born in the ordinary way, like you and me. He had an earthly mother, human mother, Mary. And you're going, gee, last time I was in church, it was Christmas, and we were talking about the same thing, right? But no, Easter is also a celebration of the birth of Jesus, the birth of life from death. The birth of a new reality that's so different from the old reality. That it's truly, it's, it, it's, it's a new existence coming to be. Jesus doesn't get back to the way he was before Palm Sunday. It's not a restoration of the old order. This is an intrusion, an eruption of the new order. A new creation breaking forth in the resurrection of Jesus. So it's, it's, it is a kind of a birth, figuratively speaking. But notice this right off the bat. Jesus isn't just born from the dead. He's first born from the dead. In other words, there will be others also. There will be a long line of resurrections that follows on the heel of this one. This is only the first. Now, I want to ask you to consider what some of the implications of this birth are. I want you to think a little bit about how it impacts us. I, I don't know about you. I remember my sister's birth. 
Does anybody remember a sibling's birth? Not, a lot of us don't because we're kind of close in age. I'm, I've got 10 years on my sister. And uh, so I was, you know, I think it was in third grade. And I, I remembered, I love my sister. And at one point she didn't exist, of course. And uh, the principal comes into the, the, my classroom and says, George Hinman, yes, I want you to come to my office. This normally wasn't a good thing. Uh, <laughs> Except the phone call had come, and I was told to stay there, and someone was going to come pick me up and take me to the hospital, because my sister, my little sister, was born in a hospital. And so they took me in, and uh, there was this window down on a hallway, and I could see through this window, and there were all these babies, little isolates, and I, and I saw my sister. They said, this one is your sister. And I was like, wow, this is just, just amazing. Now, if you think of that little 10-year-old boy there, just he had no idea how much his world was going to change. Right? I mean, this was absolutely a turning point in his life. Mostly for good. Mostly for good. But there are implications, you see, for others in the family when a child is born. So, of course, none of us remembers our firstborn, firstborn uh, sibling, um, the birth of that child. But in this case, we do. We're told Jesus is the firstborn within a large family, and, and we're celebrating that birth today. What are the implications? Well, there are three things. Our elder brother turns, first of all, death to life. Death to life. He makes a path through death. Notice he's referred to as firstborn among the dead, uh, the dead ones. That's my literal translation. He's firstborn among the dead ones. Paul doesn't say he's firstborn from death in some abstract way. He's first to come back from a group of people who are no longer within our reach. He has in mind some shadowy netherworld where all of those who've gone before us lay in rest. That's the, the conception in his era of it. And uh, I'll tell you what, there's nothing like a holiday to bring to mind those who have gone before us. To think about those who are not here. Isn't there someone you wish could celebrate this holiday with you? I mean, they're not, they're not here with us, but in some way they never leave us. We love our loved ones, and we would do anything to see that smile again, or hear that laugh, or be embraced by that loved one. And, and, and Paul's suggesting, you know, they're not with us, but Jesus was with them. You see, just for the last few days. He was with them. He was a part of that community, stone cold and beyond our reach. But now, firstborn from the dead ones, he's come back. The first one, he's here. The implication is the others will come too. Jesus says to you, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet will they live. Jesus, when he came to the tomb of his friend Lazarus, was enraged, the passage tells us. And he raised Lazarus. Jesus, when he came across a funeral, it was a widow, a widow of Nain. Her elder son had died, and he was laid out on a bier as the procession was going to the graveyard. Jesus saw this. He was moved with compassion, the text tells us, and he raised him. Jesus was begged by the ruler of the synagogue to come to his house and try to save his daughter. And when he got there, it was too late, and the girl was stone cold, laid out. On a bed, Jesus took his hand, her hand and he raised her. See, those of us who are pastors, we don't get a lot of help on how to do funerals from Jesus because people didn't stay dead very long around Jesus. <laughs> it's a really lousy model for us. Jesus turns death to life. Our elder brother also will turn divisions to reconciliation. The Apostle Paul elsewhere, Romans 8, 29, says he's first born within a large family. A new family, a unified family, a reconciled family. 
We see it here. God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things. Someday we'll be all reconciled to God. We'll be all reconciled to one another. And I'm here to tell you, if that is true someday, the implication is it's not true today. And you don't need to read the Bible to know it's not true today. You just have to read the morning news. We are not reconciled to one another. We are in an estranged family. We are an orphaned people. We are alien to one another. But Jesus comes back from the dead as the beginning of the end of all of that. We get a picture of Jesus, this firstborn brother at the end of time in the book of Revelation. There this new family is gathered around him. We're told every people from every tribe and tongue, culture and nation. And we have the privilege of living with that new family today, those of us who believe in the resurrection. We work for reconciliation today. That's what the Kindred Project has been all about. If you're visiting with us, we're a part of a partnership that's new with three great churches in the city of Seattle, us and Mount Zion Baptist Church and Evangelical Chinese Church. These three dynamic churches of different ethnicities are coming together to say, you know what, because of Jesus, we're one family. Let's start living that way. I remember, I've told some of you this, I had the privilege of introducing two pastors and uh, Pastor Mount Zion and, and Evangelical Chinese. We went to lunch together. We squeezed into a little booth up at Capitol Hill. And I could tell the Chinese pastor was anxious. Uh, you could see it in his face. And he said to the black pastor, so, you know, I have lived in Seattle for years and I have never had a single black friend. When we got up from that lunch together, the black pastor stuck out his hand, pulled that Chinese pastor in and said, brother, you get your first one now. <laughs> that was a turning point. That was a turning point for me, for them, for our churches, for the city of Seattle. God, may it be so. He turns divisions to reconciliation. He also turns failure to forgiveness. This is good news for me. My failure is not the last word on my life, and neither is yours. The epistle to Hebrews also calls Jesus firstborn. He is, in the epistle to Hebrews, described as one as firstborn. He's begotten to be a great high priest. A great high priest is somebody who offers forgiveness for failure. There is here, we're told, peace through the blood of Christ's cross. Have you ever wondered why Jesus died? Let me think, could I just miss that whole section of the story and go right to the resurrection? Why, why did he die? Not so that he could be risen. Jesus didn't have to die. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. That is to say, the source of death in our lives is the sin in our lives. Jesus, because he's God, the Son of God, because all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell inside this human being, Jesus, he has no sin in his life. He never sinned. He was tempted, but never sinned. Because of that, he never needed to have died. And yet he did. Why? Not because he had to, but because he wanted to. He wanted to die for his sisters and brothers to come. He wanted to make a path through their failure. He wanted to hang on the cross to absorb the penalty for my sin and for your sin. He wanted to die so that you and I could live, so that we wouldn't be defined by our failures, our brokenness, our pain, our sinfulness. Someday you and I will put our socks on for the last time, and we'll turn around that corner and we'll meet Jesus face to face. And I wonder how you'll meet him. Do you expect to meet him as your judge or as your priest? Apostle Paul says, he's our priest. 
A judge is somebody who looks at what you've done and renders verdict, guilty. A priest is somebody who looks at what he has done, I've offered a sacrifice, and says, forgiven. You are forgiven. That's what Easter promises us, friends. Today we celebrate a great birthday. This birth is the most momentous birth in the history of the human family. This birth is an absolute turning point. Now, I know, I read the news like you, I know there's a lot of pain out there in our world today. And I know many of you, and I know there's a lot of pain in our lives today. It feels today like history is careening down a wet, dark hill, out of control, headed towards disaster. It feels that way, doesn't it? And yet Easter tells us, Easter asserts, that is not the case. I know now you and I feel like the most we can say is that it's darkest before everything's completely black. But the good news of Easter is that out of the blackness comes the light of our Savior, Jesus Christ, born today to be our older brother. And the point of this, therefore, is not to be cautious on the hills of life, but to ride with wild joy, because we see around the corner. We know how the story ends. We know, in fact, what's coming towards us, more wonderful than we can imagine. So we've been praying for you today that this will be a turning point for you, that if you're in pain, you will turn to Jesus Christ, that you'll borrow the joy of tomorrow and get a little bit of it even in the pain of today. We've been praying for those of you who don't yet know Jesus and haven't received the promise of Easter, that you will also turn to Jesus. Our elder brother offers you today eternal life to be rejoined with those whom you love. What a reunion. Our Savior Jesus and elder brother invites you today to reconciliation, not only with him, but with people around you, all people. What a great mission we've been given. Our brother Jesus invites us today, promises us and offers us forgiveness for all of our sins. What a great hope that is. If you've not received this promise, what a great day to receive it. Easter Sunday, 2017. I don't want anything more than I want for you to become a Christian today and to receive what Jesus died and rose to offer. The Bible promises us, if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's all that's required. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How should we prepare for our own resurrection? Someday it's coming, if we believe the Gospels. How should we prepare for it? My suggestion is, get to know your elder brother. That's how we prepare. He's alive, he's with you, he's reaching out to you, he's offering his life for you. Get to know him today on this side of the corner because to know him today is to know him for eternity. And to have the joy of knowing him today is to have the joy of knowing that the one who sits on the throne of history is not some stranger, is not a judge, not some impersonal high priest, but is your elder brother who loves your life more than he loves his own. I want to close by giving you a little picture of that from the writings of Robert Farrar Capon, who asks us to imagine what it might be like to come around the corner on the last day into the presence of our Savior. He tells a story about a man who shows up at the resurrection with all of his record books as if it were an IRS audit. 
We might imagine he has a book to document his compliance with all of his favorite dogmas, and a book to offer the rationale for all of his favorite dissipations. And he's coming like a dope to talk to his brother, uh, talk his brother into checking his bookkeeping against his own. Big mistake. But Capon asks, do you know what Jesus is going to say to him if he comes to the resurrection with a request like this? Here's Jesus. Just forget it, Arthur. <laughs> I suppose we have those books around here somewhere, and if you're really determined to stand in front of my great white throne and make a fool of yourself, I guess they can be opened. Frankly, though, nobody up here pays any attention to them. What will happen is that while you're busy reading and weeping over everything in those books, I will go and open my other book, the book of life, the book about everybody I ever drew to myself by dying and rising. And when I open that book, I'm going to read out to the whole universe every last word that's written there. And you know what that's going to be? It's going to be just Arthur. Nothing else. None of your bad deeds, because I erased them all. And none of your good deeds, because I didn't count them. I just enjoyed them. So what I'll read out, Arthur, will just be Arthur, real loud. And my father will smile and say, hey, Arthur, you're just the way I pictured you. And the universe will giggle and say, that's some Arthur you got there. But me, I'll just wink at you and say, Arthur, come up here and plunk yourself down by my great white throne. And let's you and me have a good long practice laugh before this party gets so loud we can't even hear how much fun we're having. Let's pray together. Jesus, today we look around the corner. We see in your resurrection life the renewal of our lives and indeed all of creation. We see that truly you are the one who turns our pain into joy, our mourning into dancing. Will you allow that this could be a turning point for our lives today as well? There is somebody here today who needs to know that this promise is for them we pray that you'll quiet every voice inside of them that's saying, oh, this is too silly. Oh, this is too easy. Oh, this is too wonderful. Let them hear the voice of heaven calling them into this new family which Jesus has come to be their brother. Hear their prayer as they simply say to you, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for rising to give me eternal life. I give you everything I know of myself to follow you and to receive this gift. Father, there's someone else here who needs to know that the pain that they are in right now feels catastrophic, but the good news of Easter is that the worst thing is never the last thing and that you are with them in the midst and that you will lead them through for you have already made a way and that you'll make a way for them too. We pray for them as well. And for all of us, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you. We love you and we worship you. And we look forward to what you're going to do in our lives today and for all of eternity. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.